save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this month's edition of Carpooling with the RV. In this episode, we'll be discussing things related to immigration. We have two special guests today. We have Pat Beckley and Judith Obatuza, who are two of the authors of the Warrior Women Project, a sisterhood of immigrant women. So, my Dear ladies, welcome to Capulin with the RV. Thank you, Lucia. Thank you so much. It's my honor to have you here today. So, Pat, let's start with you. You immigrated from England to New Zealand. What brought you to New Zealand? Okay, well, the first time I came, I, I came, kind of came here twice. The first time my husband decided he was, he was a teacher and he was fed up with teaching. He was one of those men that was never happy with anything. You know, there was always something better over the horizon. So he decided it would be quite fun to do a year's teaching exchange. Um, and we were offered New Zealand. So basically we swapped houses with a New Zealand teacher and his family. They lived in our house in England. We lived in their house here um, mm -hmm. for one year. Our daughter was only two and it was the most wonderful experience for me. The minute I arrived here, I knew it's where I wanted to live. Um, we, but we had to go back after the year. And it took me 14 more years to get back here permanently. Um, with a lot of nagging and cajoling and yes so eventually we came back here he was offered a job and we were able to get permanent residency uh, and I just feel I'm home it's wonderful yeah that's wonderful and what about you Judith you immigrated from Nigeria to Canada what brought you to Canada the promise of a better life so, you know, we're always looking for greener pastures. Many times that, is, that phrase is used for education, but times are changing and people now look for greener pastures in other countries, especially for parents. We're looking to give our children something we maybe didn't have or what we don't have, or we're trying to expand our horizons and uh, empower our children to be ready for the global market so that anywhere they go they they'll be able, they'll, they'll have they'll be distinguished because they have an extra layer of exposure by being going to another country so we came to canada my husband um at the time um said 
he thought it would be a good idea. And I did. I do have family here. And um, so for the children, we came to Canada. I followed my husband, let's just say. It was not really like something I really wanted because I've always believed that wherever you are, you can succeed there. But we came because we wanted to give our children a better life. Mm-hmm. I think children are what we most care for. That's why we take decisions, thinking based on their happiness. But what aspect of New Zealand culture was the most difficult to get adapted to? Uh, that's quite a hard one to answer because in many ways it's very similar to the English culture. You know, people tend to look similar and apparently behave in a similar fashion. But once I'd been here for a little while, I realised there were lots of differences. Just, just little things like entertaining. In England, when you ask people to your home, you provide everything, all the food and drink. Here it's very different. You're expected to take something. And at first I found that quite difficult um, because, because it kind of wasn't what I was used to. Um, and I didn't mind taking things. I mean, I'm naturally quite a generous person. So it wasn't that. It was, it was just the fact I didn't know quite what to take and what would be the theme of the evening and would my food be wrong and would they like my food? Um, and on the flip side, I've, I still, I've been here 11 years and I still find it tricky when people say to me, what can we bring? Because whatever they bring is not necessarily going to work with what I've planned, you know, <laughs> which is stupid. And it's just me being a total perfectionist and it's a very bad fault. Um, but I kind of, yeah, I, I would say that's the thing I probably struggle with most. Um, and feeling a little bit like an outsider all the time. You know, I don't, I don't actually feel that I really, really belong, you know, um, and equally when I go back to England, I don't feel I belong there anymore either. So I think that's a funny thing. I don't know if all immigrants are the same, but for me, that's a really big thing that I don't kind of feel I really belong anywhere. You know, even in my beloved Fiji, I'm, I still feel I'm on the fringes. So, but it's a small price to pay, small price to pay. And for you, Judith, what aspect of Canada culture was the most difficult to get adapted? So the most difficult thing to get adapted to is racism. Um, okay. Before I came to Canada, my blackness, didn't, I was just a person, just like another person. But here, I am always, I was never, I'm never comfortable because I'm not being judged the way other people are being judged. My blackness is judged. The way I talk is judged. My tone is judged and judged negatively. And the most painful thing that I that that has done to me is how racism has affected my children. So racism meant that in school they were bullied and the school did not stand up for them. And it's the life that I dreamt of for my children, I am not able to have because those things have traumatized my kids and derailed the plan that I had for them. And so I spent most of my time chasing, you know how you like you're carrying a bowl of oranges, a round bowl of oranges, and you're going up a hill. And the oranges 
pour down. So you're chasing your oranges, you're chasing the bowl, and you're getting them, you're trying so hard, though you get them back bruised, but you don't get them back the way they were. So that racism moved me into the child welfare system. And it, like my son went into care and the boy that came back is not the boy they took from me. I was in court for two and a half years. Yes. So you imagine that I came here as an immigrant to settle. And then I'm in court for two and a half of the years that I've spent in Canada trying to get my son to not be a permanent ward of the state for nothing that I did. So that, my son keeps telling me, mommy, forget it. Try to, I can't because I had a dream for my children. That particular son, I knew what he wanted to become today. He's not on that path anymore. So my life is not what I planned. That is the most difficult thing. And your podcasts is the first time I'm really saying this because I'm writing a book about it. It's, it's so traumatic. Every day is traumatic for me. So I'm not settled. Nine years, I'm still not settled because my, if your children are not settled, you're not settled. And I didn't come with one child. I came with four. So you can imagine the turmoil and the trauma that we live, I live through every day as a parent. Only crime because I moved from black, a country where we are. I never knew my country. I know my country has issues, Nigeria, but every country has issues. But racism, the, the impact of racism, if you're not black, you can never fully appreciate it. I'm really surprised. I've been to Toronto one time. And I was very impressed that it looked like a very multicultural city. It's yeah, being Black means you, everywhere we go as Black people, we go through this. I remember a friend, somebody in church, arguing with me about my Black experience. She's uh, maybe Croatian or something like that. So she's white-skinned. And she was arguing about my experience. You can never, ever, truly. In fact, my classmate when I did my master's, she's white, with in, she's indigenous, half white, half indigenous. She has all that, but she's also indigenous. But she doesn't look, she looks really exotic and beautiful. Mm. But she has, her partner is a black person. And she never understood the black experience until one when she noticed that when they go out together, like when they go to the, when they're going to the US at the border, he gets special attention. They go into a museum, they let her pass, then they start to search him. So those little, little things. So if I go, I, I remember going into H&M with my son. My son is six foot, he's a six footer. And he's, you know, black boy who they sag and all, he's 18, right? Um, and I was walking behind him. And I do, I do it deliberately when I'm working with my son because I know he'll be treated in a particular way and I want to watch what they'll do. I walked into H&M. My son walked ahead of me. So I told him, when we go, you go to the male side to look out what you want and I will go to the female. So, but I'm, my eyes are always on my kids, especially my son, because black boys are at risk. So 
I was watching and a staff member of the H&M started following my son from throughout the store. So I came to my son. I was, and I started following the man, but he didn't know where to get So I told my son, and my son was so angry, he left the store. So even me as a black woman, they look at me differently. They treat you differently. You get, they are stricter with you. I mean, it's, it's not easy to be black in, in North America, US and Canada. It's not easy to be black. And Pat, you also see racism in New Zealand. Can I just first just read a quote from the back of my first book I wrote? She had never experienced racial hatred firsthand, so had no real idea of how it could erode a person's whole life. I wrote that in my book, Daisy, uh, which is a novel, but I feel so strongly that, and it just breaks my heart, Judith, that you and and all my black friends uh, just have to suffer this. And I know it's so true. I've got a, a friend in England um, and I met him when he was homeless. He was sleeping rough on the streets and we just, we've become really good friends over the years. And he's not homeless anymore, but he's black, very good looking, very articulate, very well educated. And, and some of the stories he tells me about growing up in England, he emigrated from, I don't know, somewhere in Africa when he was quite small. I mean, it just breaks your heart. It's just so awful. But to answer your question, yes, there is racism here. People pretend there isn't, but it's very much there. And I have to, I have learned after 11 years to keep my mouth quite firmly shut at times because I have very strong views. I have had since I was a very small girl, I've always realized that the world is very unfair, very unequal. And I do find that I, I can't bear injustice. So if I'm in a situation where people are talking in a derogatory fashion about somebody because of the color of their skin or because they're poor or they live in state housing, I just get so angry. Um, and yes, it, it is here. It, it's, it, it is a divided society. People pretend it's not, but, but there is. And I guess that's the same worldwide, but it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I just, I just can't bear it. That's so unfair. I want to tell you something, Lucia. The, the city that I, I migrated from Niger, Lagos, Nigeria to in Canada is the fourth most ethnically diverse city. So it's not for lack of multiculturalism. It's just something in the culture of the white-skinned, wherever there's majorly white people, there's just something about it because it's not because you don't have a diversity of, 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 uh, of ethnicity. Mm. I was just talking to someone the other day and we discovered that of all the minorities, the black is the least, the most mistreated. For years, we have had black people being called niggers and other terrible things. And nobody ever made a law to call it hate speech. But now there's a law to call if you talk to an Asian or you talk to about a Muslim, it's called hate speech. But for all these years, hundreds of years, they've called black people everything. When my son came to this country, they, he was nine years old. In the school, they, the teacher will argue with him about Africa, the teacher. 
They, they, they will isolate him in class, put him outside of his of his friend. And he doesn't have any mental health. He's just a nine-year-old boy. They will, they will call him names. Call tell him his, his skin is like poo-poo. And nobody could fight for him. He'll be beaten up. They, they, they won't let him play. And when he goes to play, they kick him in the on the play and say it's a mistake, but they do it all the time. So it's not for lack of diversity. It's just something about the systems in all these whites, I don't know, predominantly white places. And then the sad thing about blackness is that we are the worst treated minor minorities. So, but it's just it's just part of life. We just let's not get stuck up on it. We keep going, we keep moving, and we keep doing. Yes. No one can stop us. No. No. <laughs> we are together. <laughs> Absolutely. You recently co-authored the Warrior Women Project, a sisterhood of immigrant women. As an immigrant woman myself, these subjects seem so common yet not talked about. So how did you first hear about this project? Well, I, last year in lockdown, decided to write my first book. And once I'd written it, I thought, hey, now, now what do I do with it? And I didn't want to go through the whole process of trying to send it to publishers. So I decided to self-publish, but I knew nothing about self-publishing. So I joined um, an internet group called the Self-Publishing School. And you they have a Facebook page. So you start talking to other, other people. And on it, I started talking to a lady called Dr. Lulu. Um, and at first she thought I was a man because she hadn't seen my face. She just saw Pat Backley. Um, and then one day she saw my face and she said, oh, you're a woman. Ah, oh, I'm thinking of writing a book about immigrant women. Would you be interested? Because by then we talked and she knew my background. Um, so that was December last year, the end of December last year. Um, and the rest is history. I'm pretty sure our listeners are curious about the Warrior Women Project. Can you tell more about it, Judith? So the Warrior Women Project is, it's, it's a project that's meant to create awareness about the strength and the resilience of the immigrant woman. It's also meant to encourage other women, whether immigrants by location or immigrant by headspace, because you can migrate from a particular level of thinking to another better level of thinking. So this book is to challenge us as women, that no matter what life throws us at us, we can. We can do great things. We can step out of our comfort zones. We can hold on to our dreams. We can keep going where we want to go, despite the chaos that wants to envelop us and draw us back. It's like being in quicksand. But this book is saying, even if you are in quicksand, you can still reach out and grasp that which you want to grasp. Women in this book, we see people who have who fought through mental health situations, we see people who fought through domestic violence. We see people who fought through 
situations like I described racism and the impacts on, on, the, on your children that you brought with you, we see all kinds of stories. So the Warrior Women Project is not just a project for the 21 women that wrote this book. It is a project for women all over the world and the men that love them, that befriend them, that are family to them, to encourage women that we are great. We, by the reason of our physiology, our, in, our person, we are already great. And why the word warrior? Warriors, they fight battles and they win. And though life could be a battle and maybe a battle, you will win because you are a warrior. And wonderfully, you are also a woman. And have you always wanted to be a writer? Yes, yes. This project was it's my low-hanging fruit. Remember that thing you asked me to write? I think I mentioned it there. It's my low-hanging fruit. I've always wanted to be a writer. And actually, when I was young, I actually wrote a little book. But, you know, um, my dad, I don't know what they did with it in the movement of locations and all of that. So I've always wanted to write. And like I told you, the experiences I have had, this particular trauma of migration and the impact of racism is just one of the other things i wanted to write about. I have wanted to write from before I came to Canada and I used to write. So I started blogging just to give myself some creative outlet. So this was just like divine. Can I just say, she already talks like an author, doesn't she? Her words are beautiful. And when she was talking about the oranges, carrying the oranges up the hill, it was so poetic. You've got such a wonderful tone to your writing, Judith. I was checking in the book and I saw that one of the authors, Dr. Lulu, says, one of the things this book is doing is empowering the girl child, empowering the inner child, and also women across the world. Pat, how can we empower women across the world? I think just by letting them know that they're not alone. You know, we all go through very similar things. And even in our, in our small, relatively small group of women, there are so many commonalities. You know, we've, a lot of us have suffered domestic abuse and just different things. And I think there are billions of women in the world out there who it will just help them to know that that they're not alone. Um, when I was a little girl, I was probably nine, I think, and I was very idealistic. I lived in just a predominantly white area, but we had I always remember we had a lady come to our church Sunday school and she had she had come back, she was a missionary and she'd come back from the Belgian Congo. Um, I don't know what that's called now. It's not called the Belgian Congo anymore, is it? But she had, she stood there, she was a tiny little lady and she stood there telling her stories. And I was just, my mouth was open the whole time because I realized that there was a big world out there and there were people who were, although she was old, I mean, I thought she was about a hundred. She was probably about 40. But um, I realized that there were people, even old ladies like her that actually felt the same as me you know that everyone was equal, everyone should be given the same opportunities. And, and I look back on, on my life and I think of all the different women that have influenced me in some way, just by their opinions or their stories or 
And I realized that it's very important we all share our stories because that's the only way of helping other people. If we keep everything inside, then, then we're just trying to deal with it ourselves and we're not actually helping anyone else. So although it's very hard to open your heart and tell all your raw secrets to the whole wide world, um, I think we're all of the opinion that if we help just one little girl, if we just help one little girl's life to be better, then, then it's worth sharing our secrets. Yes, I agree 100% with you, Pat. What is the feedback you're getting from this book? I think it's, it's having the impact we hope it, hoped it would. In fact, it's having more than that. Um, even men seem to be quite affected by it. I think Judith will agree with me. For example, my friend I was just mentioning, um, who, who, was, who has suffered and still suffers very badly um, as a black man in London, um, I sent him a copy of the book and he sent me a beautiful, beautiful message saying it had made him reevaluate re his relationship with his mother because he'd always held a grudge that his mum dragged him from Africa as a little boy. He suffered terribly. He was the only black, he and his brothers were the only black boys at school in the north of England and he'd always held it against his mother. But he said reading our story made him realise that just made him realize something that she'd gone through. So that was unexpected. I, I didn't expect to have that that um, effect on somebody. But yeah, a lot of people for me to me have have said how it's affected them. So and I'm sure Judith has many more stories like that. Judith, can you tell us about the feedback you are having from your readers? The feedback that I've gotten generally is how it helps them to understand the experience of the immigrant woman and how they understand the immigrants that they know better. So they will give, they're giving more grace to those people and that's supporting them more. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing. We meant that it will empower women, but we didn't know it will go beyond that because it's not just women who are immigrants. So they now understand that there is a part of the immigrant experience that you don't see. And this, we're showing, we're doing that. We're showing them that part behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And they appreciate it. Yeah, it is a very touching book. And Pat, how often do you go back to the UK and how does it feel when you are there? Well, until COVID, I used to go back every year. Um, so for nine years, I went back every single year. Um, a couple of times I went twice a year, which was very lovely because my daughter was, well, no, Lucy was there for the last five years, but my mum was still alive. So, and she was in a nursing home. She was poorly and she didn't have much memory, but um, I would go back and see her um, and catch up with all my friends and go to Europe because, you know, Lucia from England it's so easy to hop to Europe you know 50, 50 pounds and you're anywhere in Europe yeah. so I would try and time a few things like that but I always felt as I said earlier I always felt like I didn't really belong there anymore mm -hmm. um, very strange it's a very strange feeling and I don't know if it's something that every immigrant experiences um, but certainly you know I, I it's it's just something that's very hard to put into words but you kind of don't 
you're not like that anymore. Your your world has expanded, your mind's expanded, and 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 you just don't fit. Yes, Beth, I agree with you. This is a normal feeling for somebody who moves to a different country. And I also experienced that. It was unsettling at first, but I see the positive aspect of it now because I absorbed treats from the different cultures I've been exposed to, and now I feel really international. But also it's extremely unfortunate that we cannot deny that immigration and racism can go hand in hand, yeah? And on top of that, looking at this issue from a women's perspective. So, Yudith, what do you hope your readers can take away or will take away from reading your story? My story is titled in the anthology, The Warrior Women Project. It's titled In a Promised, in the Promised Land. And at the end, I'm going to just uh, read the last thing that I wrote in that story. So the thing is, the real reason that I wrote my story is so that even though it's hard in the promised land, because it's a promised land in your mind, even as a refugee, people pick sometimes when they are in those, uh, the refugee camp, they have options of countries to go to and they pick one based on a dream that they have. So there is always that yearning for, there's a promise of something better in this place we're going, regardless of how we got there. So I'm saying that though the, in the promised land, it might not be an easy walk. It will not be a walk in the park. But at the end, your promise that you desired, the promise that you had when you were moving to that promised land, you will get it. So I, the last paragraph in my uh, part of the story on page 65, the question was, is there anything else you would want the world to know about you? I wrote, I want to encourage every immigrant reading, reading this book to know that though the road may be bumpy and the journey long, if you hang in there, you will yet enjoy your promised land. And Pat, what has been the best thing about being part of this sisterhood? Without a doubt, it's meeting all these other ladies. I mean, I would have gone, without the book, I would have gone through my whole life without ever meeting Judith and all the other ladies. And to be honest, that's for me, that's the greatest joy. I mean, it's obviously a thrill to see the book and to touch it and for people to know you're part of it, but it's it's those women. It's it's just the whole, it really has become a sisterhood. You know, we talk on, on WhatsApp and, People say their, their sadnesses, their joys. And yeah, it's just lovely. My only sadness is that ordinarily I would have been in the States right now. We'd have been doing a fabulous book tour. Can you imagine 22 women doing one book tour? Oh, it would just have been sensational. Um, hopefully it will still happen one day. But I think that's my big sadness because I've never met any of these ladies in person. I don't, you know, we've never met. So, so to actually, for example, be able to meet Judith and hug her and, you know, it, 
yes, for me, it's it's the friendship. And for you, Judith, what has been the best thing about being part of this sisterhood? Well, apart from what my sister had said about the connections, about the new relationships, and they're not just relationships, it's the intimacy of the relationships with people that you would never, maybe for someone like me, maybe never meet, or people you have not met in person. It's just amazing. But there's one other thing. This project has given my words a place to stay for posterity. So even if I left the world today, my words are in this book and they, will, they are here forever. Whether it's digitally, whether it's printed, that's the second thing. And the third thing is that I wrote a book and the books that are inside me, I can write. So this is a proof that those things that are in me that have not, I have not, that have not come to fruition yet are possible. This is just the evidence of dreams coming true. Can I just say, don't you agree with me that Judith is the most wonderful orator? Her voice is so soothing and, ah, oh, she's just fabulous. She is. She speaks with her heart. I'm blushing. Can you see it? <laughs> <laughs> and now to finish off, I want to know what word or words come to mind if I say the word immigration to you. I think for me, it's adventure and adventure really um and understanding perhaps um because it's made me understand people you know the the fact that wherever we are in the world whatever we do whatever color we are whether we're rich or poor we are all exactly the same you know um there's good and bad but but our souls are the same yeah and sorry, that was much more than one word. Sorry. No problem, Pat. Go ahead and tell us more. This is this is why it's such a good good job that I've become an author because I've always talked too much, but now I can do it through my writing. It's kind of allowed. Um, it's like somebody's taken the top of my head off, and seventy years of worth of words are just flying out. All these things that were trapped in there, you know. So it's great. And for you, Judith, what word comes to your mind or words when I say the word immigration? So the first thing is resilience. You know, immigration is not, like I mentioned before, a walk in the park, regardless of how you got there. So resiliency is something that immigrants have to have. And there are many ways to have it. Some of us are not as strong as others, but one thing that helps us is community. And someone told me something. She said her dad told her that your first family is your neighbor. So if where I live, my next, my neighbor where I live is the first family I have. So because if anything is happening to me, it's my neighbor that I'll go to before I call my family in UK, Nigeria, anywhere they are. So you cannot be in a silo as an immigrant. If you want to actually 
find joy in your immigration. Regardless of the racism I've experienced, all those people who God used to help me, all those opportunities where I did not waste because I went out and I was helping others. And I was reaching out where I thought I could get help, really helped me when I talk about the two and a half years I was in court. I'm writing a book on that, so later I'll have more details. But that, it's my neighbor, it's the people next to me, these people I met on this journey. So as an immigrant, you have to be, you have to be willing to go beyond what you know. And that brings me to the other word that something that just came to my mind that I've said to you since yesterday. People always talk about cultural sensitivity. But I, I want to challenge us to talk about and to think about cultural accommodation, accommodating other cultures. It's not being sensitive. Being sensitive, for me, sensitivity is like being afraid, having to walk on tiptoe around the issues. Cultural accommodation is, I'm different from you. Like Pat mentioned, people in New Zealand don't go empty-handed on visits. I did not know that when you go, when you are going out with your, if your friend invites you for her birthday in Canada, you pay for your food. In Nigeria, if you invite me for my birthday, yeah, if they say come to a restaurant for my birthday, you'll probably be paying most most of the time, you'll be paying for your food. You'll be paying for your entertainment. But in Nigeria, if I invite you for my birthday in a restaurant, I'm paying for your food. You're supposed to come and spend your money on my birthday, except yeah. you're giving me a gift. Yeah. So I made this mistake with someone, and I think they talked about me behind my back to say whatever negative thing they said, and they now cut me off from being their friend. But this is my lack of culture. I didn't know this culture. So cultural accommodation, you have to be willing to accommodate other people's lack of ignorance. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> talking about food. If you go to Japan and you eat, you have to burp many times to say how delicious the food is. <laughs> but if you're burping in Canada, you have, you're gross. <laughs> So this, um, it's offensive. Can you imagine? It's awesome in Japan and it's offensive in Canada. So if I come to you and, and I'm, I used to live in Japan and I'm in Canada now and I'm burping about, you may want to ask me, you, you're burping a lot of the food. So yes, because the food is so delicious because that's where I'm coming from. Then I'll say, oh man, oh wow, is that, be okay, that's what they do in Japan. No, in Canada, we think it's, they, they see it as being gross. Wow, cultures are so different. And then it opens up new conversations. But that's for me, cultural accommodation, accommodating the other person, the other person's difference and embracing it, not being repelled by it. This was very well said. And Pat, do you know your neighbors? I do. In fact, I've only lived in this house for two and a half years um, and I didn't want to move here, but because, you know, my marriage broke up and I had to sell the house and everything. Um, it's not a place I knew at all. 
so I was I was a bit hesitant and I share a drive in New Zealand they have a system where they build houses in England you just build houses on the street like this and then another street behind but in New Zealand they will build a street and then they'll build houses in the garden so you have like a shared driveway that goes up beside the houses and then there might be one two or three or four houses behind you it's a very un I it, again, it's another cultural difference that I've had to accommodate. Anyway, so my house is one behind another. Um, and when I first moved in, I was very, very hesitant. You know, I was a woman on my own and they were all couples and that can be quite tricky. Um, mm -hmm. And and gradually I just kind of started saying hi as so I was putting out the rubbish and things. And now we're such good friends, all three of my immediate neighbours. We, we, we have dinner together, we, you know, we party together. It's fun. I mean, they're all couples, so I do feel a little bit odd, but they even invite me to their homes when they have other friends, other couples coming. So, yeah, I, yeah, I do know my neighbours, but it's, you have to put yourself out forward, I think. It's not an easy thing. I, I, don't, I don't find it easy, yeah. I mean, I'm naturally very gregarious, but I don't like pushing myself. You know, I'm very good at selling things for other people or raising money for charities, but I'm not good at doing it for myself. We are ending our first coupling episode and I would like to know, Pat, if you would like to leave a message to our listeners. Yes, I would love to. I would like to say that when I was a little girl, I didn't think I had many opportunities. You know, my background was such that I didn't think I'd ever leave England. I didn't think... I never have much of a career and I'm now 70 years old. I'm a published author and I live on the other side of the world and I have friends all over the world and life has been hard, um, but you just have to keep getting up, carrying on. Whenever life knocks you down, you get up and carry on and life's an adventure. And that's the title of my story in the book, Life is an Adventure. And that's what I believe. Wonderful. And Judith, tell me what message you want to leave to our listeners. So they always say that when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And I say when life gives you lemons, squeeze them and get the juice out of it. See, because why is that? Lemonade means that you have to add sugar to it. Sometimes sugar is not good for you. Lemon juice is good for you. You can use it for many different things. So when life gives you lemons, there is a lot of good uses for these lemons. If only you get the learnings in those challenges. So I want to encourage everyone listening to carpooling today. Do not give up or give in to those challenges that seem to overwhelm you. You see, the thing is, you know, when you decide that today, or I'm now going to work harder, the year is coming to an end, I want to change my ways, I want to be do this, I want to make more money, I want to be happier. Do you know what happens to you? Chaos ensues. More <laughs> challenges than you ever had before will just 
erupt all over the place. But those who have triumph at the end are those who don't allow the chaos to get the best of them. So I want to encourage you, whatever the challenge you're facing or the challenge you will face, don't lose your, don't take your eyes off your goal. Don't take your eyes off your dreams. It is still possible. Your dreams are still possible if you hold on to them. So this month, this day, this week, this year, next year, when life gives you lemons, squeeze them, get the juice out of them and spread it across different uses. And you see, they won't just be lemons. They'll be learnings that will lift you to your greatness. I love you. So do I. I love you. And Pat, I love you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This was more than I could expect today. Oh, good. I, I couldn't be happier to have you both ladies here today. I really appreciate it. It's such fun, Lucia. Thank you so much. Really wonderful to share the morning for me because it's morning here. Um, it's just been such fun. I wish I could do it every day. Thank you, Judith. Thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure. I, there's no one I would rather do this with than Pat. Oh. So I'm so happy for this moment because she's so far away. We can't see ourselves, but you gave us this opportunity to spend time together, to share our stories, our hearts with you. It's a privilege. I know we both don't take it for granted. My sister Pat is, a, is not one-time author. She's several times author and her, her, the flurry of words <laughs> won't stop. So she's going to have many, many books and she's such an inspiration to me. You know, Pat is 70. I just turned 50 and my life has been pretty tumultuous. <laughs> but you know what? Because of Pat, if I ever forget that the future is going to be greater than my today, I remember Pat because Pat's today is better than her yesterday and she's older. Nobody thought that. People always think that when you're past maybe 40, and you haven't become whatever it is they think you should be, there's no hope for you. But Pat started writing one year ago, and she now has four books. <laughs> so you see, you see, there's nothing impossible. Pat, you tell me that there's life, anything is possible. Thank you, Lucia, for bringing us together again today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.